Welcome to Shekinah International Podcast. Our ministry reflects the five-fold ministry model Apostle Paul mentions in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Our podcast features leaders from multiple churches who are passionate about equipping Christians just like you to walk in purity and power, fulfilling your God-given purpose. God wants to do great exploits through you, so enjoy today's podcast. Yeah, that was good. I was waiting, seeing, thinking, okay, right, where's he going with this? And then he, he said that. I was like, oh, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. Hey, you guys, God bless you. It is so good to be back, amen? Come on, listen, y'all. I'm over this COVID thing. I'm ready to be with my people, be with the family of God, amen? I love seeing the courageous faces in the house. You guys bless me. You guys just bless me. And... Um, Brent, just so you know, I always print those out for you, darling. They're right here on paper. So you have them. You don't have to look up at the TV. I don't know why I didn't tell you that earlier. Sorry. You know I love you. <laughs> yeah, it worked out. Yeah, so God is good. It's been a journey. How long have we been in COVID now? COVID, I call it COVID confusion. Right? It's a confusing spirit out there trying to convince people that God is not God, that this is bigger than it is, that, um, you know, we need to be in a panic, but we don't. Amen? I was talking to Daddy as usual about what to preach today, and I look up on my closet door. My son works for Celebration Cinema, those of you that don't know, and uh, they've been on shutdown for the COVID, but he got me this poster a while back. Anybody like... uh, DC, Marvel, you guys DC, Marvel fans? Okay. So I'm usually a Marvel fan, all right? But there's one DC movie I absolutely love, and it's Wonder Woman, of course. No offense, guys. But that's one I can relate to personally, right? So I look up on my closet door, and there's this beautiful poster my son had given me of Wonder Woman. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about this scene, but not all of it, because we're going to get to that later. But it's the very end Uh, when she crosses her arms like this, her wrists like this, and she's got those gold bands on her wrist, and um, she's got her little crown on. And in that spot in the movie, when she crosses her arms and finally is filled with enough faith, she's able to defeat the foe in the movie, her arch enemy, okay? This gentleman who has been causing problems all over the world has gotten everyone, just like Brent was talking about earlier, angry, upset, mad, and fighting with each other. He was creating war on earth. His whole purpose was to create dissension and tension and contention and division, okay? And at the very end of this movie, there's something that happens, which we'll talk about in a little bit, and she is filled with faith as a result of it, crosses those arms, and the love motivates her to be able to defeat this foe. So I'm looking at that, and Father God was reminding me of the verse in Second Timothy that says, we've not been given a spirit of fear of power. On the bottom of the poster it says power. But of power, love, and of a sound mind. I started to meditate on that a little bit, and I love to talk about love because God is love. When we talk about love, we're talking about daddy, amen? And I think we forget sometimes that love is a person. It's not a thing. Love is not a feeling. Love is not an emotion. Love is a choice. It, 
when we're walking in love, it's accompanied by action, but love is a person. The scripture tells us that God is love. Amen. So, that being true, anytime you feel loved by another individual because of something they're doing, something they've said, something they've given you, something they've done, you are experiencing God through them. That's a powerful thought, isn't it? And think about that for just a second. Think of one time, maybe this week, that you experienced the love of God through another individual. But just by show of hands. Yeah, come on, somebody. We need each other, right? We need each other. So I started to think about, all right, Lord, where do you want to start with this, right? So if you're familiar with teaching principles, you're probably familiar with the law of first mention, okay? It talks about the, this idea that the first time that something is mentioned in Scripture, it sets a precedent for the entirety of Scripture in regards to what that particular word means. Now, we know that the Hebrew has been translated into English and that oftentimes the Hebrew, the original Hebrew language is different than the English. So I've got two examples here of the first mention of love because I think there's been some confusion in our society. So I wanted to mention both. The NIV translates um, both Genesis 4.1, this word is love, and Genesis 22.2 is love. But in the Hebrew, the actual first mention of love is in Genesis 22.2. But I want to read to you this Hebrew, the Genesis 4.1 verse about Adam because I believe this is a society apart from Christ, individuals who don't know the Lord, who aren't walking in divine love per se. I think this is the perspective that we have. It says, Adam made love to his wife. All the men said, amen. Eve. And she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. With the help of the Lord, she said, I have brought forth man. It's all right to laugh. Listen, making love is natural, people. I don't know why we get so nervous about talking about that, but how do y'all think y'all got here? Somebody had some fun, okay? That's just the reality of it. There were no carrier pigeons. There were no pelicans. There were no storks bringing you to mom and daddy in a diaper. You were birthed and created and literally formed in your mother's womb, amen? Intimacy, that oneness between a man and a woman, or what the Hebrew talks about, it literally means the word yada. It means to know someone or to be known by them, to be so physically and intimately connected that there's a a oneness or a knowing, an experiential knowing of the individual. The idea that knowing another person carnally or being one with them in flesh, that's yada, okay? So Genesis 4.1 is the first mention of that yada, the two becoming one, the Lord likes to say, right? It says in the scriptures. But the first mention of divine love is in Genesis 22.2. It's achab or achaba, okay? in the Hebrew. It literally means to love or to be a beloved, to be dearly loved as friends or to be dearly loved as a lover, showing your love in action or one who shows love through action. And it comes from this verse, then God said, take your son to Abraham, your only son whom you love, whom you achab, You deeply love your beloved, your dearly loved one. 
the one that with all of your actions, Abraham, you're showing me that this is your prized possession. Then the Lord says to him, Isaac, he gives him, says his name, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will show you. Ooh, Jesus. I was like, hmm. So I'm reading that verse this morning, and the word Moriah jumped off the page, and I, I've studied it before, but I wanted to study again. I'm like, Lord, remind me, Holy Spirit, what does Moriah mean? The root word of Moriah is strong or bitter. You've heard that saying, that's a tough pill to swallow, girl. That's a tough pill to swallow, brother. It's bitter. It's like, whoo, that one, that one choked me out going down, right? That was, that was a hard one to, to, to swallow. This idea that God, the creator of heaven and earth, asks Abraham, who has this divine love for his son, this darling, this beloved thing that he cares deeply for, and he says, I want you to go to the mountain of bitterness. I want you to go to this strong, hard place. I'm going to tell you which mountain to sacrifice him on, but I want you to sacrifice him. I want you to give him to me. Mm-mm-mm. We have these moments, these seasons, these times in our lives when the Lord asks us for the very thing we thought we would never have to offer up. Amen? And just like Jackie was singing earlier today in worship, it's the fiercest battle. Because everything in our flesh, in our yadaness, if you will, <laughs> right? The, those people that we're fleshly connected to, we don't want to let go sometimes. We don't want to release We don't want to give it back. We're like, man, I really enjoy this, that, and the other, right? But that's what God asked of Abraham. And it becomes a litmus test of sorts, a test of our soul, a test of our will, a test of our love for God, a test of our worship for him, right? We know that God is love. We know that God is good. We know that God never, ever asks us to give give something to him that he will not give back to us a hundredfold because he's a good father and he gives good gifts to his children. Amen? So it's not like he's up there and he's a cruel father and he's trying to test us and, you know, trick us and mess with us. It's not like that at all. It's that he created us and he understands that the very thing that we need to be the best that we can be in all the fullness of, fulfill all the fullness of our destiny is when we keep him at the center of our lives, and he is the most important thing to us. Amen? And so these tests come. These Mariah moments come when we have to go through these places of bitterness where we thought, not this, right? But we've, we, he says, yeah, that. Will you lay that down for me? Will you lay that down for me? The Mariahs are the places where our true love for God is tested. I moved on from Abraham talking to Holy Spirit this morning, and the Lord reminded me of two men, two men and two love stories. Abraham's love story with God and Jacob's love story with Leah and Rachel. You guys familiar with those? Okay. Abraham loved his wife, Sarah. He loved Isaac. He obeyed the Lord. And he just started to highlight the two individuals and the parallels between their lives and how the one reacted and how the other reacted. And I realized... Abraham got a word from the Lord, and he left home to follow him. 
Amen. You remember that? He left the land of the Chaldeans where he was from. The Lord called him out and he went to a land where? That he did not know. So he was this man of great faith and he obeyed the Lord and he stepped out and he was like, yes, I want you, God. He was already through his actions showing that he, Ahabad, that he loved the Lord. He was passionate about the Lord. He was willing to give things up for the Lord. There were family and familiarity and circumstances and comfort and riches was not as important to him as the Lord was, right? And then on the other hand, you've got Jacob. Jacob's a totally different story, okay? Jacob's brother Esau was the oldest and was due to actually get a blessing from God from his father. But there was, and many don't know this, a blessing that actually was due to Jacob through his mother, Rebecca. Okay? He was actually in line for that blessing. But rather than receive the blessing that the Lord had ordained for him, he finagled his way with his mom and manipulated some things and deceived his father and his brother to receive the eldest brother's blessing instead because he wanted what he wanted. And he fled. He had to flee from his home because he was in trouble. <laughs> he left. He left town. Two totally different perspectives. This is what's interesting, though. Jacob actually valued the blessing so much that he was willing to deceive to get it. Now, he's a scoundrel. Don't get me wrong. But he understood the value of the blessing of the Lord. Amen? So there's something to that, and I'm going to show you that in a minute. Abraham was married to Sarah, his true love, this one woman, and they did quite well until she got a little impatient. You remember Hagar? They had the promised son of Isaac, and she said, I can't wait, I can't wait, I can't wait anymore. Just lie with, lie with Hagar and have the child. That's how the Lord's going to do it, right? And we do that sometimes. We get impatient, right? But he had one true love. Jacob's story is a little bit different. He was tricked into marrying Leah, having deceived his father. He himself ended up being deceived when he went to work for Laban. Do you remember the story? And he was in love with Rachel because she was beautiful and shapely, the Amplified tells us. Okay? And his, his, in his manhood, you know, he was very attracted to her in that first mention of the yada way. <laughs> he wanted to be one with that woman. You know what I'm saying? So Laban tricks him, you know, hides Leah's face, marries him to Leah. She's got the veil covering her face, and she was a kind woman and a gentle woman and a gracious woman. She was the eldest. She was rightfully, sh he should have married her. And that's what Laban was explaining to him, but Jacob didn't want nothing to do with that. He didn't want to do it the Lord's way again. So Laban tricked him, just like he tricked his father, and Jacob reaps what he sows and ends up, Yadain, if you will, with Leah without realizing it, and in the morning realizes, whoa, I got the wrong one. <laughs> Can you imagine waking up in the tent in the morning going, oh, Lord Jesus, what did I do? It's a little late, a little late, done sealed that deal. Yeah, right? So he wakes up, he sealed the deal, he's like, oh, I, I, can, I can imagine what he's thinking. But, uh, you know, looking back, we have the, the advantage of hindsight, right? You know, the, he really reaped what he sowed. He'd been playing people, and he got played is what happened. And then you look at uh, Abraham and Sarah. God had given them a promise of Isaac, but they waited 99 years till he was 99 years old. I don't know the number of years between the promise and the actual birth. 
I didn't look that up today. But he was 99 years old. I mean, come on, somebody. That's, a, that's old. That's a long time to wait. You'd be thinking if God get offered you a promised child, he might want you to have it in your 40s or 50s, maybe 30s, while you're still healthy and young and have some energy to clean up after the child, to change the diapers, to feed the child, to hunt, right, back in the day, <laughs> to make the money you need to make to take care of it, right? And we see that God's timetable is not the same as our timetable. His thoughts are in our thoughts and his ways are in our ways. They're actually above our ways. But so often from our finite perspectives, me anyway, I get impatient and I'm like, when, God, when? How, God, how? You said, God, you said. Why is it not here yet, Lord, right? And we become impatient. Abraham, blessed by the Lord, most of his life he was blessed by the Lord. He was full of grace. He was given much, many, many riches. He had peace. He knew how to war. When he went to war, he won because he obeyed the word of the Lord. Right? He was given honor and prosperity. If you remember the story, Melchizedek, the priest and king, okay, blessed him. All right, he was the first one to tithe to him, and he received a great honor by being blessed by him. And Jacob did end up being prosperous, but he had to trick his way into prosperity too. Laban pulled one over on him. He pulled one over on Laban. Remember the story about the speckled and spotted sheep or goats, right? He's like, well, I'm going to teach him. I'm going to put speckled sticks in front of the sheep at the watering hole, and all the speckled ones will be mine. So he, you know, works that out, breeds them in such a way that there's more speckled than there are non-speckled, and he ends up walking out a Laban's place there with quite a herd of his own. And he was prosperous, but he got it by trickery. And it's just interesting, even in that moment, he finally leaves. And you remember, he leaves the land, and he was fearful. He was fearful of coming back to the land because he had also deceived Esau, whom he had, he had wronged, right? And he was scared. Do you remember he kept sending gifts ahead of him? He kept sending a gift out. Send another gift. Send another gift. And Esau was excited for him to return. He wanted to see his brother, but... Jacob still knew he'd done wrong and he hadn't made it right yet and he was a little nervous. So he would send gifts. Oh, I'm going to bless him. Send another gift. Send another gift. Send some sheep. Send some cows. Send some wolves. I can't rush the flock, right? I can't rush them. The ewes will die, he said. It's interesting to me. Abraham was so obedient. And he said, to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse, the Lord said. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That was the promise to Abraham, who was obedient. The original covenant maker, the one the Lord co covenant with, the one who, Ahabad, his son, the one who said, I will lay the very thing down that I love most for the sake of my Lord, because I trust in your goodness and your grace. And what did God say about Jacob? Malachi 1, 2 through 3 tells us, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother? The Lord's like, seriously? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I hated. Why? Verse 13 tells us why. You say, what a burden. 
this covenant was. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord. When you bring me injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices as if I should accept them from your hands. So this idea that he said, I love Jacob. Abraham was extremely obedient, and I absolutely loved him, and I made this covenant. I said, I'm going to give you the entire nations of the world. Your descendants will be beyond number, beyond the grains of sand, beyond the number of stars in the sky. And he says here, Malachi, yeah, I have loved even Jacob. Why did he love Jacob? It seems strange. Jacob was a bit of a scoundrel. He was a deceiver, right? Like, I had to grapple with that a little bit. But Jacob so valued God and God's ways and God's blessings, he understood the value of the blessing of the Lord. In fact, he valued it so much that he was willing to trick someone else to get it. He was willing to do somebody dirty, do somebody wrong to get it. That's how much he really, truly, wholeheartedly believed it was good and it was going to be all that God said that it would be for his life. So in a sense, he, he valued it, amen? And the Lord said, I even loved Jacob. Interesting to me. Two totally different men in the way that they served. But God loved them both. God blessed them both. In fact, God loved Jacob so much that we hear over and over again throughout the Bible, he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That blows my mind sometimes. Sit and think about that for a minute. So you've got the, the one who gave all, and you've got kind of the scoundrel that finagled his way through and came to Bethel, or, well, it was renamed Bethel, right? And wrestled with God, and he said, I will not leave you till you bless me to the angel. And I guess I say all that to say this is two men with two love stories and one loved really well and was really obedient and lived very sacrificially and another one was a scoundrel, a little stinker. He was always pulling something over on somebody else, but he so valued the blessing of God that he was willing to wrestle all night long and not release an angel until he blessed him. It says the angel had to touch him on his hip to make him let go. That's how strongly he fought for it. He, he didn't really get the character piece, right? But he fought, and he fought, and he fought, and he fought, and he fought for it. And then it says that the sun was about to rise, and the angel said, you have to release me. He said, I will not release you until you bless me. The angel touched his hip. It says Jacob walked with a limp the rest of his life, but he was willing to walk with a limp. He was willing to be where he was. It's, a, it's an interesting paradox. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. Would Jacob have t- had to have wrestled with the angel if he'd just been obedient in the first place? What if he just received the blessing that God had for him that was supposed to come through Rebecca? Would it have been a, more of a similar story to that of Abraham's? The peace and the blessing and the grace and the wisdom and the words and the revelation and the ability to... Go to war and to win. The ability to be in the midst of an enemy and hear a word, right? I don't know. Just food for thought. Interesting. Very interesting. 
Abraham gave the things he loved most willingly to the Lord, and Jacob wrestled with God because he valued the blessings, and he understood God is good. He's always good, and his blessing was worth wrestling for. So whether you're at the place where you're still kind of in scoundrel mode or you're at the place where you've learned like Abraham, it's better to just obey. I give up. I give up. God loves you, and he values you. And he is blessing you. He longs and loves to bless you. Come on. But Esau saw it as a burden. This is too much trouble. I am not doing this. This is hard work. Why would I? I'm not going to give him my best. I'm just going to, well, I got this left over. I'm just going to bring this. Right? He didn't value. He didn't value it. Come on. Come on. So this is the idea of the two men and the two love stories. And the Lord began to talk to me a little bit more about Leah and Leah's saga. So Leah was the first wife of Jacob. And I just started to have a real tender spot in my heart for her because the world says it's all about looks. The world says it's all about shape. The world says it's all about money. The world says it's all about whatever, all these material things, right? Gucci you know, MTV, whatever. I don't know what they watch nowadays. What is it? What's the new thing, Matt? Help me out here. I don't know. Right? Okay, whatever. The supermodel runway look. You know what I'm talking about, okay? And I just started to feel for for Leah. I started to feel for Leah, honestly. Because it says that she had kind of a issue with her eyes. She didn't see well. So I picture this woman who longed to be loved, maybe was made fun of her whole life, maybe didn't do, uh, couldn't even maybe do the things that everyone else could do, right? And she's the first to be married off, hasn't been married off, and here comes Jacob, I'm assuming handsome, and he's interested in her younger sister, which wasn't the tradition. So she basically gets pushed aside because he wants this cutie pie. And I started to feel, my heart just went out to her. My heart just went out to her. It tells us in Genesis 29:30 that Jacob's love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And I thought, oh, the Lord wrote that in there for us on purpose that there are times when Man's love or man's love or culture's love or individual's love is stronger for others than it is for us. And I can imagine how she was feeling at that time. Rejected, probably. Hurt, probably alone. Probably questioning her own self-worth, right? Like, what's wrong with me? Lord, is there someone out there that could love me for who I am? Genesis 29, 32, it says, When the Lord saw that Leah was not love, he enabled her to conceive. But Rachel remained childless. I love that verse. I love that verse. In those moments when the world doesn't love us well or culture doesn't love us well or men do not love us well or women do not love us well, God sees that you are unloved and he says, 
I saw, he says, I, he saw that Leah was not loved, so the Lord blessed her to conceive. Now, in Leah and Rachel's day, that was a big deal. Whoever was having the babies was on top. It was a high honor because if you were bringing forth children, you were bringing forth blessings. You were bringing forth legacy. You were bringing forth future laborers. You were bringing forth future funding for the family. So Leah just was not loved well by Jacob. I started to mull that over a little bit and pray about it. And the Lord began to speak to me about Leah's legacy. I'm only going to talk about her first few sons here. I think I've got four of them up there. In Genesis 29:32, it says that Leah gave birth to Reuben, okay? So the Lord sees that she's in love and he blesses her. And Leah gives birth to, to, to Reuben, Genesis 29:32. And this is what she says. This is the state of her heart in that moment. Is this, her identity previously was, I am unloved, right? That's where she's at. I am not loved. I'm the unloved one. He doesn't love me as much as he loves her. And then she gives birth to Reuben, and she says in 29.32 of Genesis, Because the Lord has seen my misery, surely my husband will love me now. Her whole identity was wrapped up in getting this man to love her, getting this man who just didn't understand her value to see her for who she was. She was stuck. She couldn't get her eyes off it, so much so that she named her first son, Reuben, which means behold, a son. Her hope was in her desire to have her husband love her and this son, this beloved son, her hope was in now I've produced him a son, perhaps he'll love me now. I've given him something. I've performed. Look, God has blessed me. Do you not see? I am worth loving. Look what I've done. Look what I've brought forth. Look what I've birthed. And it's interesting because Reuben slept with his father's concubine. He was very rebellious, very bitter. And I was contemplating that this morning and just thought, hmm, I wonder what was talked about behind closed doors when Jacob was with Rachel and not in their tent. What did Reuben see that made him so bitter? He's, he decided he was going to sleep with his father's concubine, which was unheard of, completely unacceptable culturally. There had to be bitterness stirring there, anger, hurt, resentment. And maybe this, it tells us later, we'll get to this later, but perhaps Reuben felt unloved as well. And the Lord started to show me as I go through these names this morning that not being loved and a lack of love is oftentimes the doorway that the enemy comes through to bring wounds of bitterness, offense, anger, retaliation, a desire for vengeance, lasciviousness, fornication. I've seen individuals go into pornography because they're actually longing for intimacy, but no one will love them for who they are, where they're at. So they look for that instant gratification, that moment of satisfaction that makes them feel wanted or loved or satisfied for just an instant. Not because that's where they want to be. They actually hate it, but because that's the only love they get in a day. That's how and when they feel most loved. 
So it goes on, and in Genesis 29.33, Leah gives birth to Simeon. And in 29.33, she says, because the Lord heard that I am not loved. She's still there. Her identity is still believing the lie that she's not loved. And she's forgetting that God blessed her and shut Rachel's womb. And she says, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. He let me birth this again. He blessed me again because he sees and he knows and he understands my pain. Simeon means he who hears, or literally, in the Hebrew um, scriptures, they say they believe it actually literally means God heard I was unloved. I thought, that poor baby. Walking around with a name, God heard I was unloved. How would that affect you growing up? Simeon and Levi grow, grow up, and Simeon specifically, and they ended up destroying an entire city because they wanted justice for their sister who was raped. So they had this call for meeting out justice, but it was perverted because they were unloved and they were angry. So rather than respond to bring about systemic change or righteous justice or even extend mercy, they reacted and much like our riots right now, they ravaged the entire city because of one situation. Does that sound familiar? Okay. And I thought, Lord Jesus, it all goes back to not being loved. She goes, it goes on in Genesis 29, 34, and Leah gives birth to Levi, and she says, now my husband will be joined to me because I have borne three sons to him. Surely now, not just one, not just two, but three. And my sister has borne him none. And her hopes are high again, and she's thinking, he'll love me now. He'll accept me now. He'll receive me now. Levi means joiner or to be joined. It's the root word in the word Leviathan, which is a twister. It's the principality and power of the air that twists words, twists truth. I just found that interesting. So Leah's identity, even after Levi, after giving birth to her third son, is still in the birthing of the boys of these children. Her whole identity was wrapped up in what she could produce and bring forth. And my heart just began to weep. And I thought about what was going on in our country right now. And I became very grieved. And I remembered a conversation, a four-hour conversation I had with a good friend of mine. And she said, we're just tired we're just worn out. And I was reading this this morning, and what I heard was, I just want to be loved. I just want to be loved for me. I just want to be respected. I just want to be treated with honor. I just want to be given my due. Why do I always have to produce? Why do I always have to give 10 times as much as everyone else and still not receive the respect, the honor, the love that I long for in my heart? And it reminded me of Leah. And then finally, something happens 
in Leah's heart. And I don't think it's an accident that it's three sons, and the scripture talks about three generations, and we just sang about that earlier, and we'll get to that in a minute. To the third or fourth generation, things are paid back. Leah gives birth to Judah. Come on, somebody say Judah. Mm-mm-mm. Genesis 29:35. She said, "This time I will praise the Lord. I am done trying to gain his attention. I am done trying to reconnect. I am done trying to manipulate my way back into a situation because I am loved by the Lord. He blessed me with these children. He opened my womb. He has loved me well, so I will praise the Lord. Amen. And we come to these seasons in our life where Whatever the circumstance, whatever the situation, we've looked to others or to people or to a job or to a boss or to a bank or to a friend or to a ministry or to a husband or to a wife, and we've said, if I just do this, if I just do this, if I just do this, shut door, shut door, shut door, shut door, shut door, no. And we have to get to the place. And Leah finally did where she said, I am loved. And she goes back to what the Lord said about her. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. Sometimes in those places of us not being loved, they're the very places where God gives birth to things through us. It's the very season where we see in us the things maybe that need to shift or need to change. The opportunities around us where we're called to serve when we don't feel like serving. The opportunities where love can literally be birthed through us. And we have a choice. We have a choice to to serve in those seasons, to give in those seasons, to love in those seasons, to bless in those seasons, to rejoice and to praise his name in those seasons, or to say, I'm still unloved. And I believe in this hour, in this time, in this season, and in this nation, God is saying, I am calling my people to praise my name and remember that I saw your pain. I saw your hurt. I love you. I have blessed you. Rejoice in the thing that I have put in your hand because I am good. And I am working all things together for Good, because I am a good, good father. Come on. Come on. I'm preaching myself happy this morning. It was like Leah finally got her eyes off of man and began to praise the Lord for all of his goodness to her in spite of her trials, in spite of her pains, and in spite of the unwillingness of those around her to give her the love that she was due. She was created in the image of God. She was the firstborn. She was the rightful person that should have been married off. Her daddy shouldn't have had to trick him to marry her. That was the honorable thing to do. She was a kind, good, gracious woman. God was trying to get Leah's attention the entire time. There are laws of legacy. In Exodus 20, Verse 4, it says, you shall not make yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above, on the earth beneath, 
or in the water below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I am the Lord your God, Jehovah, the covenant God, okay? That word Lord is Jehovah, yud vav Yahweh, the covenant keeper. That's the name he gave to Abraham when he cut covenant with him on that day. He said, I am a jealous God, punishing the children to the third and fourth generations. There it is. She grieved three generations. She grieved three children down about being unloved. Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, she finally woke up and said, I will praise the Lord when she gave birth to Judah. Three to four generations down. He's, listen to this. This is so beautiful. But I show love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So we go back to the two stories, the two love stories, Abraham and Jacob, and we go, the scoundrel, what happened here? Like, why is God blessing this man? Because he's faithful to a thousand generations of those that are faithful to him. And Jacob's blessings, many of them, honestly, came as a result of Abraham's love for God. Abraham's obedience to God. And all day long, we look at the effect Jacob's lack of love had on his sons, on his wife Leah, on Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. They were just wounded boys crying out for the heart of a father to love them. And a wounded woman, a wounded wife, crying out for the love of her husband to love her. Sin always brings death. It never just affects you. The scripture in Exodus tells us it always affects those in, around you in the moment, and it affects those to the third and fourth generations after you. Just like love leave le- leaves a legacy, sin has a legacy as well. Interesting, interesting. Every choice we make either brings death or life. Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 20, it says, See, I set before you, the Lord said, life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then... When you keep his commands, his decrees and his laws, when you walk in obedience to him, then you will live and you will increase. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. So both, we look at the two stories, Abraham and Jacob are both blessed. One had to get it by deception and finagling, and the other one was given it freely by the favor of God. Come on, somebody. Do you want to have to finagle for all that and strive and run around and whirlwind yourself, weigh yourself out and try to get her? You just want to be like, the favor of the Lord is like a shield around me. I'm going to receive it everywhere I go. Come on. God's ways are good. They are right. They are just. It says, but if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods, whatever that is, okay, it doesn't have to be a bird cut out in an image that you bow down and worship to back in the day. It could be television. It could be Facebook. It could be social media. It could be your best friend. 
It could be your mom. It could be your dad. It could be your husband. It could be your wife. It could be your job. It could be your pets. I don't know. Some people are, you know, into that. I don't know what that is for you. It could be money. It could be the way you look. It could be the style of clothes you wear. I don't know, right? It says, I declare to you on this day that you will certainly be destroyed if you bow down to those things. You will certainly be destroyed, the Lord says. You will not live long in the land you're crossing the Jordan to enter in and possess. When we worship anything other than God, it actually takes years off of our life. Because it's only in the presence of God that we have fullness of joy. It's only in his presence that our days are multiplied. When we start our day with him, the promise of the Lord is that he multiplies our days. Come on, somebody. I'm 44 years old. I did not look 44. I got carded at Myers the other day. Made my day. I was like, I love you. If it wasn't COVID, I'd give you a kiss right on the cheek. I was so happy. I thought, Lord Jesus, thank you. you honey, you made my day. She goes, there's no way you're <laughs> You come here just look at my ID. I was so happy. In verse 19, he says, this day I call heavens and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death. Blessings and curses. Now choose life. Why? So that you and your children may live. And, and what else? And that you may love the Lord your God. We can't love God apart from having those Mariah moments. And truthfully, we think we love God until we have a Mariah moment and we realize, wow, I really thought I loved you a lot more than I did, but now I'm realizing I love you this much and I got a lot longer to go. So we persevere because perseverance produces character and character hope. And in those moments we go, okay, Lord, I do want to love you more. So I'm going to stay in this just like Abraham. I'm going to keep my Isaac, my whatever that is on that altar because I want you more than I want this thing. I want you more than I want that yada, that fleshly appeasement. Because I've tasted and I've seen that you are good. So I'm staying. I'm pressing. I'm being pressed. I'm willing. Bind me to the altar lest I kick against you. Amen. Choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. When we choose life, when we choose obedience, when we choose Moriah, when we choose the bitter, the hard things, the difficult way, we actually grow in love and we gain more grace to flow in the fullness of his power of his love and actually love itself is poured out in our hearts it's proved in us it's meted out if you will so that you may love the lord your god listen to his voice and hold fast to him for the lord is your life somebody say amen the lord is my life listen when she's singing that song earlier today <laughs> what were the lyrics, Jackie? Victory, uh, basically it's all, you did it, I didn't. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I wanna s I'm going to see a victory, but it says something in there about basically you alone. You get it? I want to see your victory. Okay, well, she's singing prophetically today, okay? So it's all about the victory of the Lord, and she gets to this point, you alone, Lord. You alone, Lord, get the victory, right? It's not something I did. Even my ability to persevere is by grace alone because as I stay in you, you pour out the very thing that I need to stay. And, and we look at Abraham's story, and he, he was in the same place. He said, 
the Lord can raise him up, right? Even if he dies, even if it goes all the way past where I think it's going to go, the Lord can raise him up. I'm still leaning on him. It, the victory is all his. And he's so trusted in the character of God, in the goodness of God, in the love of God. He said, he'll do it because he understood God is good. God is not a God that brings death. He said, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly until it's full, overflowing, right? He said, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and life evermore. Amen. Oh, I'm getting lit up up here. I might fall out. Jesus. Jesus. Hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers. And here it is, your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So despite Jacob's scoundrel approach, he's mentioned as a father because he valued the blessings of God. Come on, somebody. So, so what does this look like? How do we do this? How do we move? We've got this choice before us of life and death, and as we choose life, it's so that we can grow in love. It's so that we can live long in the land. It's so that we won't be destroyed. And so it's like, well, what does it look like? Like, how does this come about, Father? How do we master this? And he said, he has shown you, in, in Malachi 6, 8, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Humility comes when we remember where we came from. Where, when we keep our own shortcomings in sight and our own struggles and we get our eyes off of other people and expecting them to fill the void in the hole in our heart and instead look upon the Lord and give and extend mercy to them. And that's hard to do when you're in a Mariah moment. It's hard to do sometimes when that bitterness is trying to press in on you and take root in your heart. It's hard to do when there's intentionality and malicious behavior coming at you, but it's so, so important because doing so, choosing humility, remembering your shortcomings, and blessing others with the privilege and with the honor of receiving mercy from you actually preserves your life and it preserves theirs. Because but for the grace of God, there go I. Amen? It's so, so good for us to remember that we need grace. So why should we love, right? Why, why should we do it? It hurts sometimes. I was watching The Shack again the other day. It said, love always leaves a mark. Love always leaves. True love always leaves a mark because it will always take you to that place of Mariah. Someone's going to hurt you. They will. And we have an opportunity to express God to them by choosing mercy, by choosing humility, by choosing love. Why should we tolerate per people hurting us? Why should we give mercy when we're wronged? Those are some of the voices that come at us. Why don't we stand up and fight for what's right? Why don't, why don't we get ours? I'm going to get mine. I mean, this is a ride-or-die moment. We're hearing some of those things, aren't we? The Lord took me to Ephesians 2.4. 
because of his great love for us. Why? Because of his great love for us. Because in light of that verse in Malachi, we remember who we are. We remember what the mercy that we needed, right? And we remember of his, his great love towards us that he died for my sins, that I made a lot of mistakes, that this mouth isn't always holier than thou, <laughs> that my love walk isn't always perfect, that I failed, that I wasn't always saved, and then we're able to extend that love to others. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ when we were dead in our transgressions. It was his mercy towards us. It's the goodness and kindness of God that draws men to repentance. Our flesh wants to lash out and make people agree with us and focus just on the truth. But it's actually the goodness and kindness of God that draws men to repentance. Continue to be good to those that persecute you. Continue to be kind. Bless and do not curse, the scripture says. Love your enemies. Do not despise them, but love them. Pray for them. Those that wrongfully persecute you, pray for them. The King James Version, every once in a while, there's a verse in there. I just can't find a better translation in it. In um, Proverbs, it says, By mercy and truth, the iniquities of the hearts purged. So there's this idea that if we truly want to see the root sins, which is what an iniquity is, it's a deep-rooted sin in the heart, that third and fourth generation sin that we're talking about. We want to see those things rooted out of the hearts of the people that we care about, that we're in relationship or that we're in culture with. It's by mercy, being merciful to them and kind to them and good to them, they'll be drawn to repentance, but also doing it in light of the truth. I, s I see this very clearly. But I love you and I forgive you. God forgave me and I forgive you. And that's what transforms people. That's what changes their hearts. His great love for us being reflected back to other through us. Amen. It is by grace that we have been saved. Amen. 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 Love is the power of God. We hear a lot about, you know, the, the, this next move and supernatural signs and wonders. And if you've ever gotten any teaching on healing, you know that love is the key. It says Jesus felt compassion for them, and then he prayed. That love of God gets stirred up in the heart of the individual toward the person they're praying for because love is a person. And then they pray because God is love and God himself goes in and he deals with what needs to be dealt with and he prays and he gives revelation and wisdom and understanding to the prayer. And they simply agree with God who is love and he does what he does and love always heals. Love always binds up. Love always restores. Love always repairs. Love always refreshes. Love always renews. Love always regenerates. Love is the power of God. In Ephesians 3, 17 through 19, it says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, 
It's not just that God is rich. He's gloriously rich in every way. And this last six months, five months, I, I, I've been able to actually say that I am rich. I am rich in love. I am rich in relationship. I am rich in so many ways. Not ways that the world understands, right? Like I'm not a billionaire. Lord willing, if you want to donate, I'll receive it. But I'm just saying, but I am rich. I enjoy the things that I have. I, I have joy every single day. I have hope every single day. I have peace every single day. I have a Father God that loves me perfectly. I have friends that are there for me, spontaneously giving and praying and interceding and prophesying into my life. I am rich in relationship. I am rich in friends. I am rich in church family. I am rich. You are rich in relationship. You are rich in family and friends. You are rich in hope. You are rich in love because God is love and he himself dwells on the inside of you. You are among the most honored and privileged people to walk the surface of the earth. God, love, chose you before the foundations of the world to be a home for him, to be a mouthpiece and a voice for him, to be a carrier of hope for him. The creator of the universe chose you. He could have chosen anyone else, but he chose you. He chose me. before he ever made any one of us, before he breathed a single piece of dust into existence. I mean, think about that. What an honor. You've been called to lead and to love amidst a great cloud of glorious witnesses who now having known in part, fully see, and they're cheering you on from heaven, saying, do the things I did not do. Love the way I could not love. Be the one I could not be. It will be worth it. It will be worth it. Ask him to open your eyes and help you to see. It will be worth it. And every once in a while, I get a better glimpse, and I say, Lord, if you'll allow me to burn for you more, I'm willing. But who? I need more love. <laughs> I need more of you. I pray that out of these glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power in your inner being that through his spirit in your inner being, so that, why? Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Come on. Having believed, we confess him as Lord. He does dwell in our hearts richly. Amen. That's the power. Christ in us, the hope of glory. We say that all the time. What is the goal? What is the power? It's Christ, who's one with God, who is love, being formed in us. In other words, love being formed in us to such a measure that people see him more than they see us. 
Paul goes on to pray, and I pray that you being rooted, okay? So he calls us oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor in Isaiah, right? You being rooted, deeply rooted, and established in what? In love. May have power. Come on, that's it right there. When we are rooted and we are established in love, we have power. Because God himself is love. And when that love is established in our hearts, when we receive it first, we can give it, right? And some of you, I just feel like there's some of you out there watching right now, God loves you so much, and you have been telling him for years, I'm not lovable, I'm not lovable, if you only knew. He knows. You've been telling people in your life, you're not lovable. They already know your mess. They see it. They deal with it every day. And you won't let anyone love you because you don't feel worthy. None of us are worthy. None of us were worthy, but we're all needful. And sometimes you've got to humble yourself and let down your walls and say, I'm willing to receive it even though I don't deserve it. And in that moment when you finally say, I'm going to let it all down, I'm going to let that love, liquid love come in. It's not until you actually receive it that you're able to express it. And you're wondering, why can't I live the life? Why can't I do good things? Why can't I know this is right? I agree with this thing. I want to move in this direction, but I can't seem to get to the place where I'm able to love the way that I know that I should. And it's not that there's something wrong with you. It's not that you've missed the mark. It's that you've forgotten to receive the love of God yourself first. You cannot give what you have not been given. And God loves you, and he's been begging you to let him love you. Will you let him love you today? And I almost hear like in the book of Job when God said, Are you God? Do you get to decide who I love, if I can love you or if I can't love you? Are you God? Did you create the earth? Did you create the stars? Do you store up the snow and tell it when to come out? Do you store up the rain and tell it when to rain? Do you store up the thunder and lightning and throw the bolts down to heaven? Do you send the angels forth? Did you create the heavens and the earth? No. He is God, and he's saying you need love, and he's saying he wants to love you. Will you receive it? Will you humble yourself? He loves you. People love you. There is no need for you to die apart from experiencing the perfect love of the Father. There is no need for you to die apart from experiencing the perfect love of the Father. You need only humble yourself and say, and this is the thing. Even if you want to humble yourself, but you don't know how to humble yourself because you've been strong and proud and stubborn for so long, just say, Lord, I want to want to humble myself. I don't know how. So I humble myself and ask you to help me to humble myself so I can want to humble myself, please. And he will. And he'll give you an awesome encounter with his goodness and his grace and with his love. And you will be forever changed because in that moment you will taste and see that the Lord is good. And that he loves you right where you're at. In the middle of your mess. So Paul prays that you being rooted and established in love may have power. 
together with the Lord's holy people to grasp what? To grasp how wide, how long, how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Think on that for a second. How high and how wide and how deep and how far or how big is the love of Christ? He loved you so much he gave his life for you. He loved me so much he gave his life for me. And he wants you to understand that love. It's not that we have to do the same thing. He'll ask us to do some things, right? It's not that we have to do that, but if he asked us, would we? And when you think about that, that he loved you so much that he was willing to die for you in all of everythingness of where you're at right now, what you know about you that nobody else knows. And he says, I love you, son. I love you, daughter. I chose you before the foundations of the earth. Yes, I knew. And maybe like Jacob, you feel like a scoundrel and you've been conniving and playing and whatever. The Lord says he loves you. It's a love that surpasses knowledge. In other words, it's inexhaustible. It's unknowable because it goes on and on and on and on and on and it never ends. You can't outrun it. And then it goes on to say, that you may be filled to all the fullness <laughs> of God. Think about that for a second. That's like, blow your mind. He wants us to know him so much so that we can be filled to all the fullness of who God is. So that we can literally walk the earth the way Jesus walked the earth. Come on, somebody. That gets me excited. Every time I pray or the Lord moves or someone asks for something, we can just agree with his love and be so filled with him that it always is a yes and amen. It always is an answer prayer to the measure of faith that the individual has. Come on. That's beautiful. All the fullness, all the fullness of God. All right, then, so how? Right? How are we filled? to all the fullness of God. What, what does that look like? What, what is our portion? What is our part? God has a part and we have a part, right? Ephesians 4.2 says, be completely humble. So it goes back to humility. We've got to humble ourselves. We have to admit we need it. <laughs> we have to get to the realization that there's no formula, there's no book we can read, there's no one plus one always equals two, there's no way. We have to be so humble and so submitted to God and letting Holy Spirit lead everything that, what is this? What do you want me to do about it? What is this? What do you want me to do about it? Oh, you don't want me to do that right now? Oh, you don't want me to do it like I did it the last time? Okay, yeah. I'm humble. I'm submitted. I'm listening. I'm always, always in learning mode. We've, because love is inexhaustible, the ways that God desires to manifest himself are innumerable. They're, they're infinite. And if we want to continue in him, then we need to remain in that state, amen, and just stay there. 
stay in the reality that there is, I know nothing. Because if God is inexhaustible, and he is, and if God is love, and he is, and if God is infinite, and he is, then I can never know enough to actually know. Amen? But that's not a bad thing. It's a beautiful thing because it keeps us leaning on him. We know a piece, a portion, an aspect. We know who God is. We know of his character, but we don't always know the right answer. We don't always know the way. We don't always know what he wants to do in that moment. Why? Because he knows all things. He knows the heart of the person that we're praying for, that we're mad at, that we're frustrated with, that we're trying to help get through. He knows everything. He knows all the circumstances. He knows the past and he knows the present. He knows what's going on in that person's life and what he's trying to accomplish in their heart. And we are just a tool. And if we're a willing tool, we're a willing vessel in his hand, He can use us to change the world with one simple act of obedience, one submitted heart, one humble person that says, I am willing to say again and again, I don't know. I know you. What I do know is I know you're good. What I do know is you're always right. What I do know is that you're love. What I do know is that with you all things are possible, but I don't know. I can't see all this. So what do you want me to do or not do? Jackie worshiped about that today, too. Sometimes it's just stop. I'm a doer. Look, I'm like, today, junior, okay? I don't want to sit around and wait. I want to get things done like yesterday, okay? I don't know. Maybe it's the mama and me. Maybe y'all are like that, too. Maybe I'm not the only one. Show of hands. Okay, thank you. One brave person. Two brave people. Three brave people. I love you. Four. All right. Everybody's getting a little braver. That's good. Right? We have those moments where in our flesh we kind of want to rush things along. But God is not in a hurry. Abraham waited patiently. Let's read the rest of this verse. Be completely humble. How? How are we filled to all the fullness of God? Be completely humble and gentle. Okay? I'm still learning how to be gentle. I tend to be more of a warrior. I'm still learning how to be gentle. And patient. Okay? So we have to wait. We have to humble ourselves. Lord, I don't know. We have to be gentle. Give the mercy, give the grace that's needed, right? Not beat it out of people. Who likes to be yelled at when they don't know what's going on and they're trying to figure out a problem? Nobody, right? You, you lean towards those that are like, sweetheart, it's going to be okay. And you got somebody over here going, what is your problem? Why can't you just get this together? Who are you going to talk to? You're not going to talk to this person. You're going to go over here to the sweetheart, right? Because it's the goodness and kindness of God that draws men to repentance, and then it says, be patient. Okay, so sometimes you just have to wait. When an individual has been in a pattern for a long, long time, it can take a while for them to unweave the tangled mess that they've made over their lives, the lies that they believed, the things that they've been telling themselves to keep them safe all these years or protected, or at least in their eyes protected, when really it was breeding and bringing destruction. It takes time to unravel all that. It doesn't just happen overnight. We've got to be patient with people. God is a God of deliverance, right? He can do that. Shandaradada, okay? Deliverance, right? But he cares more about your character than he does about the charisma gifts. And it's a beautiful thing. The whole purpose of this, he said, is that all the fullness of God would dwell in us. So he knows when it needs to be instantaneous and when it needs to be a journey because he's accomplishing a greater purpose. So we're humble, we're gentle, we're patient, bearing with one another in love. Yeah. 
And this is the reality. None of us have perfected love yet, right? We're being made perfect. We're holy because he's holy. We're growing in godliness. We're growing in love all the time. So even as un- other individuals are being are humbling themselves and being gentle with you and being patient with you and they're bearing with you in love, when they miss it, you make sure you're being humble and gentle and patient and kind and bearing with them in love too because they're also in process. We're all in this together, right? We're all in this together. Amen? That's right. We're all in process. So it goes both ways. If you want people to be humble and be gentle and be patient and be loving and be kind to you, you need to be humble and be gentle and be patient and be kind with them and not demanding, right? We can't be the spoiled little spiritual children. We're supposed to be mature loving, kind brothers and sisters, right? Now, we all start out spoiled, and we work our way up that ladder, (laughs) but it's important that we get there so God can be glorified, amen? Right, so how do we grow? How do we grow? How do we grow? That's, we just talked about how we're filled with the fullness of God, but how do we grow? What's that process look like as we're being filled with the fullness of God? I love this verse. I love Ephesians. Have you all read Ephesians lately? If you haven't read Ephesians, just take a day and read it in the morning. It will fill your spirit. It says in Ephesians 4, 16, instead speaking the truth in love. Oh, but I don't want to tell him what I really think. I'm not going to take that chance. You know how she is. It's going to be a seven-hour conversation. I'm never going to live this down, right? Now we're going to have to talk about this for three weeks right? That individual does not want to hear this from me. They don't respect me. I don't have a title. I don't have authority in their life, right? You've you've said those things. Have you ever said those things to yourself? Oh, yeah, I've said them. I've said them. And really, it's a fear. It's a fear that, oh, I understand the cost. You've seen the cost. You understand the cost, and you're going, who, do I really want to pay the cost? Do I really want to love this individual? But it says we have to... Instead, speaking the truth in love. When we speak the truth in love, it says, we will grow. Turn to your neighbor and say, we will grow when we speak the truth in love. That's right. Because if you don't tell someone what's really going on, they don't know. Do you know how many times I found out years later that somebody saw something in me, but they didn't have enough courage to tell me? And I was like, I wish you would have said something because I know me. I would have been like, oh, yeah, I'm an idiot. You're right. <laughs> yeah, could, uh, can we pray about that? I, I need some help. Can you hold me accountable on that? Because I know I'm struggling with it, and I really need your help because I don't want to go all the way around this mountain again. Amen? Someone that really loves you is going to tell you the truth. They're not trying to put you down. Someone that doesn't love you doesn't care enough about you to, if you go down the road of destruction. So they're not going to say nothing. But somebody that does will. And look at your life and ask yourself, who are the people in my life that care enough about me to let me get mad at them? But they'd rather have me be mad at them for saying the truth than not say it at all. They're willing. That's a risk taker. That's someone that's willing to be vulnerable. That takes courage. That's real love. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow, and this is beautiful, to become in every respect, in every respect, in every area, in every way, in every aspect, in every attribute, the mature body of him, of who? Who's him? Who is the head? That is Christ. 
Amen. There's one head of the church, right? There's one head of the church. And when we speak the truth in love, we're built up into the fullness of him, Jesus, who is the head of the church. He's the boss. We say that a lot here, right? Jesus, you're the one true apostle. We're just the little ones doing whatever you tell us to do down here, right? There's a beauty to that. There's a beauty to that. But that is the goal. That is how we grow. We speak the truth and love to one another. We give grace and mercy. We're good and we're kind toward each other. It draws us into repentance, right? We're honest and we're loving. And then we grow up in every aspect to look like him. Okay? So walk in the way of love. Mm. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, Follow God's example, therefore. As dearly loved children, so you are dearly loved. Therefore, follow God's example and walk in the way of love. There is a way that love walks. There's a way that love looks. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, and that's what it looks like. In those moments when we're counting the cost and we're thinking, oh, that's gonna, that one's going to cost me. Lord, is this something you want me to do? And he says, yes, y- you just live sacrificially and you do it because that is the way of love. You will grow. You will mature. You will be built up. You will be stretched. Your capacity uh, to love others will increase. And the individual that you're loving will receive the love of God because it's flowing through you. So it's a win-win. The whole body gets built up when we walk in love. Amen? Daily, we have opportunities to give ourselves up to God as a daily sacrifice. As we do this, we are loving others, and love is the power of God that changes people's lives. It is the only thing the Word of God tells us that never fails. Love is the only thing that never fails. It doesn't mean that the results always come quickly, but it always accomplishes. Love always accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent. Amen? i got to remind myself of that. All right, so here's the poster I was telling you about earlier. I'm going to tell you a little story finally. One of my favorite movies. For those of you who don't know, in the DC movie Wonder Woman, she is an amazing Amazon warrior, okay, from this tribe of warrior women. And she falls in love with this pilot who happens to find himself in their secret world on this island. His name is Stephen, which I think is interesting because Stephen means crowned one. Okay, so there's a beautiful prophetic picture here. So they find out that there's this enemy and this demon god, if you will, who is stirring up war all over the world and causing men to get angry and bitter and trying to get them to fight against each other. Can anybody say we're seeing that in our world right now? Okay, there is a spirit at work. What we're seeing in the nation of America is a spirit. We are not warring against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and wickedness in high places. Leviathan is at work out there twisting people's words, causing people to be offended and take something that someone else said wrong and causing them to be angry, and it starts literal wars in the sphere. So she... And Steve, come back, and they've got to fight this war. She says, okay, I know that I'm meant to go. She takes her shield of faith. She takes her sword of the spirit, her belt of truth, okay, this lasso that she can lasso anybody with, and they have to tell them the truth. I love it. And she goes back to 
the mainland with him and is going to fight this war. So all these other events happen, and I won't spoil it completely for you. But toward the end, okay, they, there's a bomb that is going to go off, and it's in this plane. And if this particular bomb goes off, it's got this gas in it that will basically kill everybody that's there, okay, all these people. So the love of her life decides if he's going to get in the plane and he's going to fly the plane up out of the atmosphere and let it explode far away from the people so that no one dies. She doesn't realize that he's doing this, and she's been having a hard time fighting this demon, if you will, this evil man, if you will, and he's been mocking her the entire time and telling her, like the enemy told Leah, who she's not and that she's not loved or she's not strong enough or she'll never defeat him. And she looks to her left and sees Steve going and realizes what he's doing, that he is laying his life down for her and for everyone. And motivated by her love and his love for her, she throws up those gold wristbands. She crosses those suckers, motivated by the, her, the love of her lover of her soul. She finally is able to defeat this arch enemy. And of course, everything explodes and he gets completely obliterated and she's like, oh, I'm done with you. I'm like, yes, I love this movie. But it, the power, you have power. That is a perfect prophetic picture of the love of God and the power of God in our hearts. When we look at Jesus, our crowned one, Stephen means crowned one. When we look at our crowned one, our Lord, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ, and what he did for us, that he laid down his life, it should inspire us, encourage us, and strengthen and refresh us to be able to defeat any foe that stands in front of us. It is the very power of God. His love for us is the power of God. God is love. Love is the power of God that motivates us and graces us to defeat every foe, to restore every breach, to repair every place that has been long devastated, to see every single battle won for the sake of the kingdom. Mm -mm, come on. She spent the rest of her life fighting that good fight of honor for the namesake of her beloved. I'm waiting for the next one to come out. It hasn't come out yet. But I love it because it does at the end of the movie. It shows her in an office, and she pulls out the picture of Steve, and she remembers her crowned one. She remembers. And in that, she says, this is how she wants, decides to live the rest of her life, fighting for humanity, because one man died for her. And we are being called and asked and invited as we gaze upon our crown, when our Yeshua HaMashiach, and we look at what he did for us to say, will you spend the rest of your life defending my honor and fighting for me and receiving the love that power, because of my love for you, to take this world and advance my kingdom. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but he gave us a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. And in the fiercest of battles, that's where the enemy comes. He comes against our mind. 
because he has to convince us because we're made in the image of God to agree with him and say out of our mouth the very thing that he needs said because he himself is actually powerless. And unless we verbally agree with him, because we're made in God's image and we're made to create, unless we say it, it doesn't even happen. I love the amplified version of this, and we're going to close with this. For God, yes and amen, Cooper. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or cowardice. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are brave. Say it like you mean it, because I don't believe you. You are brave. Yes. Okay. He did not give us a spirit of timidity or cowardice or fear. So if you're feeling afraid or you're not feeling brave enough or you're feeling a little bit nervous or shy or timid, that's not God. That is not who you are. But instead it says he has given us a spirit in the Amplified. Somebody say, I have been given a spirit. Yes, you have, of power, of love, that's right, and of sound judgment, okay? We act the craziest when we're in the midst of the fiercest battles and our mind is under attack. We lose that sound judgment. The Amplified Version goes on to say this, and personal discipline, sound judgment and personal discipline, which is the abilities that result in a calm and well-balanced mind and self-control. I, th I don't know why I'm thinking about Bruce Lee right now, right? So in the midst of Bruce Lee's fiercest karate battle, right, you have to stay calm. You have to stay focused. You have to stay centered. We cannot be distracted. We cannot have a divided heart. We cannot get discouraged. We have to stay focused on the fact that we have everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him and his good and precious promises and the fact that the very power of God, the love of God, God himself has been poured out in our hearts through Christ Jesus our Lord. And whatever we're facing Jesus plus me is enough. God plus me is more than enough, and I already have the victory. And you already have the victory. You have the power. And that gets me excited. Amen? Amen. So that is all I have for you today. I do want to do a quick... Um, activation real quick if I want you just to ask Holy Spirit Holy Spirit show me any place in me where I'm struggling with timidity cowardice or fear okay just listen and Holy Spirit I invite you now to come and to fill that place with your truth, with your love, with your sound judgment, and with your spirit. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just 
feel like you're seeing something. That's okay. I feel like you're seeing something. Yeah, so we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for that, okay? You can do this. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And God promises he will work it all out for good. And you might not get the immediate response that you want, but you will accomplish the advancement of God's kingdom. You will help Father God do what it is he wants done. And your reward will be great. Thank you for listening today. Take a moment and ask Holy Spirit what he wants you to do with what you've learned. And remember, with God, all things are possible. So keep dreaming, keep praying, and simply obey. Because God is good, and he has good plans for you. You can subscribe to our blogs, learn about our speakers, and even hear from one of our team members how you can take part in transforming a city, your city with Christ. There's no time like the present. Visit ShekinahOnline.com. If this doesn't excite you, watch for our new and God-inspired product line, a newly released book by Stephanie Butler, more testimonies from our listeners like you, working to bring unity in cities across the world. If you feel led to support our podcast, you may do so on our Shekinah.com website. Or if you would like to support us monthly, there is a link labeled Listener Support on every podcast. Until next time, we thank you, we love you, have a blessed day.